two weeks ago, we started our Easter series, and today we're getting back into it. We've just got uh, two more Sundays after this one before Easter is here. And so we are jumping back into our Easter series, and the title of my message today is Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ. And I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 17. If you'll go with me to Acts chapter 17, you can go with me in your Bibles, but we'll have the verses on the screen for you as well. We're going to read in Acts chapter 17, verse 2 and 3. It says this, And Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, so three weeks back to back, and he reasoned with them, who are them, them are the Jews. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach or proclaim to you is the Christ. Look in Acts chapter 18, verse 5. It says this, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. He was busy with the word of God, preaching and teaching, testifying, it says, to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Jumping to verse 28, it says, For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. How many of you recognize the fact that Jesus' last name was not Christ? (laughs) Okay, just by reading these few verses, we're like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. It was a title. It was absolutely a title. And uh, it's something that appears in the New Testament in the Greek language as it was written. Um, And really, it's something that's significant today. It has a Hebrew equivalent in the Old Testament. They did not use the word Christ in the Old Testament, but they do talk about the same thing. And the phrase they use in the Old Testament is the anointed one. So why is it so important for us to understand that Jesus is the Christ or the anointed one? What does it mean to me, practically speaking, that he was the Christ? In the New Testament, The Christ, that phrase is mentioned 571 times in the shortness of the New Testament books. And in the Old Testament, anointed one or Messiah appears 37 to 39 times. So there are two different discrepancies, and so I just say 37 to 39. But Paul has been telling these people, the Jews, that Jesus is the anointed one. And back in Israel, in the Old Testament days, the people of Israel, the people of God, were commanded to anoint three categories of people. And what I want to show you today is that these three categories of people are fulfilled, these titles are fulfilled in Jesus, the anointed one. He still holds all three of these roles today. The three groups of people that are mentioned in the Old Testament are this, prophets, priests, and kings. Look with me at Exodus chapter 30, verse 30. God is speaking to Moses, and he says this, You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. So there was this 
uh, ritual, this practice that was taking place in this moment. And God says to Moses, you are going to anoint Aaron. In those days, they would have used some sort of oil. Could have been olive oil or some other type of oil. How many of you grew up in a church where they anointed you with oil if you needed healing? We, you're in a church like that. <laughs> we still do that today. You know, in the modern day convenience, uh, how many of you have ever gotten like wet though with anointing oil? Okay. I, I tried to find the picture this morning online. Uh, my parents, if they watch this, my dad will have a laugh. Um, but there was a moment that my dad was preaching a message in New Jersey at the church there. And he asked me to be uh, an example for the church. And they dressed me in a baptistry robe, um, a baptismal robe, uh, to come up. And he literally anointed me, coated me with oil. And uh, I tried to find the picture, but I couldn't find it this morning. And I wanted to show it to you. Uh, it was a mess, let me just say. <laughs> Okay, so I've been there and I've, I've done that. Okay, in today's modern day and convenience, we have these little cans that have uh, solid oil that's like balm and you just gently touch it and put a little, you know, dab on your finger kind of thing. It's a lot, a lot better than dumping a bucket on you. But in the days back then, they anointed people in those three categories, prophet, priest and king. And here's the first one that was in Exodus 30, where Moses is told that he has to anoint his brother in order for him to serve as a priest. I think it's interesting because in the next verse I'm going to show you, God is talking to Elijah. If you're paying attention this morning, Moses and Elijah, they're important. In fact, they're the two who showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Whenever Jesus mentions the scriptures, whenever he's talking in his ministry, he refers to it as the law and the prophets. So look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 16. It has some hard words. I'm not going to say them all. Verse 16, it says, And Jehu, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. So here it is. A king is being anointed. David had been anointed king. Saul had been anointed king. All of these different people who were kings had been anointed. And it says, And Elisha... Blah, blah, blah. You shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So Elijah is to anoint Jehu as king and Elisha to be prophet. So what does it mean? And I, I show you those things because I think it's really interesting that throughout their history, they've been told to do this all the while God has a plan because there is an anointed one who is coming, who came, and will come again. Amen? And it's, this is so important for us to see that Jesus is our prophet. Yes. He is our priest. He is our king. He's anointed to be a prophet to me and a priest to me and a king to me. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. I know we're jumping to a lot of different verses, but um, I put a lot of work in this, so let's just go, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18 says this, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. Listen to these words. And I will put my words in his mouth. Some translations have capitalized the H in his. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. We can understand with some 
afterthought that this is speaking directly about Jesus. It's referring to him. And the reason why I can tell you that, it's not just an obscure verse that's picked out for no reason. In fact, it's actually quoted in Acts chapter 3 about Jesus himself, that he is the fulfillment of that verse. Look at Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 6 verse 13. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne and there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. If you have a certain version of the Bible, you may see the word where it says, and there, it actually says, and he shall be a priest on his throne. It's an alternate translation, but it's speaking definitely about a man who is to come, who is a foresh- it's a foreshadow then of who Christ is and is meant to be. Truly, if you look at that verse, the only one who can build his church is who? Jesus. In fact, he says that in the New Testament. I will build my church. He's the anointed one. So... God's told the people of Israel that I want you to anoint prophets, priests, and kings, and he's given them this instruction, and they may not have really even understood why, except for that God knew why and knew what he was doing, that one day there would be this fulfillment of all three in one person named Jesus. I want to ask you three questions this morning, and I'm going to give you three practical answers. So I don't expect you to like raise your hand and answer me. It's the rhetorical, but I'm going to give you three questions and three answers for this message that will help you in a really practical way be able to walk out of here and apply this to your life. The first question is this. What does it mean that Jesus is my prophet? Think about that. What really does it mean? The answer is this. It means simply that I can hear from God. Jesus being my prophet means that I can hear from God. How many of you believe that people these days can still hear directly from God? Amen. I truly believe that. It's not something that's reserved for people who stand on a platform like me. Amen. It's for every believer that we can actually hear God's voice. And guess what? If you didn't know, I hope you figure this out. You need to hear God's voice about your family, about your future, about your finances, about all of those things. And the great news is that you don't have to have someone else hear from God for you. That's why I encourage you. Read the Bible. Look it up. Know that what I'm saying is coming from God's word. Don't just take someone else's word for it. Make sure. And now there are some kooky people who have said some crazy things and blamed it on God. It's got to be backed up by God's word. Amen? So I can hear God, but I don't need someone else to hear from God. I can hear from him myself. So this is not to downplay Godly counsel. How many of you have ever asked somebody for their opinion, right? You need godly counsel in your life. You need to ask those who love God and love you what they think about the decision that you're making. 
is not to downplay confirmation from the word of God, because I sincerely believe that anything that God speaks today can be confirmed by his word yesterday. I truly believe it. Principally speaking, it may not be word for word, every detail about, you know, the exact job and that kind of thing. But does God principally direct the paths of the righteous? Yes, he does. And I can see that all throughout scripture. And it's not to downplay the witness of inner peace either. You have to have an inner peace when you're making these large decisions about your life. And God wants to walk with you. He wants to be the one that you hear from. Amen? Under the new covenant that's established by Jesus, you can hear from God because he is your prophet. Look at what Jeremiah 31 says. This is so good. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33. It says this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. These words written in Jeremiah have been spoken by God through the prophets to the people for generations up until then. Verse 34 says this, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest. There are days that I've felt like I was the least. I'm so glad that's in scripture. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So the benefit of knowing God, if you're, if you're paying attention, the benefit is the forgiveness of sins and it extends from the least to the greatest. That's powerful. Because of this new covenant, we can hear from God. No longer does somebody have to necessarily lead me every step of the way, but God will know me and I will know him and I will have relationship with him. It echoes in Jesus' words in John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I honestly, I, I truly don't think that you have a hearing problem. I thought about that. It's a it's a it's a deep rabbit hole to have gone down, but I thought about that and considered that in the preparation for this message. I don't think, generally speaking, that believers have a hearing problem. I believe they have a recognition problem. I don't think it's that God no longer speaks because I can tell you he's spoken to me. I don't, I don't think that it's my hearing necessarily, but there are moments in the aftermath of a decision that I've thought back with 2020 vision and I've said, wow, that was the hand of God guiding me and I didn't even recognize it. And I'm so thankful. But here's the thing. The recognition of God's voice comes from spending time in his word and in his presence. I can tell you, If Amy called me today from a different phone, 
pay phone or picked up somebody else's phone, picked up your phone, Tatiana, and called me. The minute that I heard her say hello, I would know it was my wife. I've spent the last 13 years of my life living with this beautiful woman, hearing her speak, talking with her, fellowshipping with her, going places with her. And there is no doubt in my mind that even if my phone said Tatiana, when I heard that voice, I would know it's my wife. We finish year 13 this June. And I'm so thankful she's put up with me this far, thus far, (laughs) this far and thus far. Amen. Give her a round of applause. She deserves it this morning. But listen, you can only, I don't know what that means that you gave her a round of applause and not me, but it's fine. You can only hear and learn to recognize, I should say, God's voice from spending time with him. There are times in the old days when we first got cell phones and didn't have contact saved and numbers would call and we'd have to say, hello, who's this? But these days, I I know my wife's voice after all this time. And God wants you to know his voice after all this time. Come on. So you can hear God yourself. Learn to recognize his voice. Question number two is this. If we've talked about what a prophet is and does, the question is, what does it mean that Jesus is my priest? You don't have a priest, thank God. I don't have to wear that bound up collar thing and uh, swing incense as I walk in here and stuff like that. But what does it mean that Jesus is my priest? Here's what it means simply. It means not only can you hear God because he's your prophet, but that you can talk to God. I want you to think through the stories that you've heard in the Old Testament. You've heard stories about how they had a priest and how once a year and only on this day and only this special man with only these special clothes, even special underwear, with only this special blood from these special animals could go into God's presence and to hear from God and talk to him and then come out and deliver a message. But in the new covenant, the word of God promises that you and I have the ability To talk directly to God. How do we have that ability? You didn't earn it. You were graced it or gifted it by God through Jesus Christ. Look at what Hebrews chapter 7 says. It says this. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Verse 27, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Since he did this once for all. Once for all he did this. When he offered up himself. Verse 28, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son, capital S, who has been made perfect forever. You know what made Jesus perfect forever? His obedience. Boy, that's a good message. We'll do that another day. His obedience is what caused him to have that perfection. So here's what I want you to catch. 
there are no more payments due on your account. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you got a call today from every one of your lenders and creditors? (laughs) Somebody shout hallelujah that every bill's been paid, not just this month, but forever. The house is paid off. The cars are paid off everything. Wouldn't that be amazing? Just imagine that feeling. You've already had that experience, though, in your spiritual walk with God. Literally. The debt that you owed and could not pay was paid by the Son of God himself. You've been marked paid in full. That's good news. It's good news. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, um, we shared about Jesus being the high priest. Look at what it says. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then... With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus, our high priest, has cleared the way. He's cleared the way and scripture is telling us in Hebrews right there in chapter 4 that we can come boldly to God's throne because of Jesus and his work as our priest anytime. Anywhere to receive mercy and find grace that we need. So this is significant that Jesus is our prophet. He's been anointed as our prophet, as our priest. And then third, the question is, what does it mean that he's my king? I could take this in several different directions. And we do, we do say this from time to time. And I encourage you, I think, in some form or fashion regularly... That Jesus cannot just be, or God cannot just be, the author of your salvation that saves you and snatches you from the penalty you were about to face, guaranteed to face. But he's got to be the Lord and the master of your life. That means that I've got to know his voice and I've got to be talking to him and I've got to be steered by him. I've got to be serving him. I've got to be submitting myself to him as my king. So what does it mean that Jesus is my king? It means that I can walk with God. I began singing a song we weren't singing during worship because sometimes that happens. It just triggers something and I start singing something that doesn't belong. And it wasn't a you know a secular love song or something like that. It was uh, an old song and it was in the garden. And I began to think of the garden moments of God and his people. I began to think of our origin and how we were in a garden and God came to walk and to be with his people. And we messed that up. And how someday again we'll enjoy a wonderful experience of being in God's presence in a garden with him again. I think about the moments Jesus, even his suffering and his anguish happening in moments in a garden. I think about him being mistaken as the gardener during the the stories that we read in the Gospels about his resurrection. 
God's desire and his plan has always been to walk with you. The question is, is your desire to walk with him? I want to give you an illustration, and it might be a little bit of a, of a walk for just a second, but you'll get the point. In, Samuel, in 2 Samuel chapter 4, we hear of a character who's got a funny name. His name is Mephibosheth. How many of you have ever heard his name before? <laughs> okay, a few, a few have heard this name. On the day that Saul, you may, you may not remember this specific detail, so I'm going to share this with you, and I'm going to prove this point, that God wants to walk with you, and because Jesus is your king, you have the ability to walk with God. On the day that Saul and Jonathan both were killed, if you remember a little bit of the details, God has chosen David to replace Saul. David has ran for his life because Saul was on the hunt for him. Now there has been this moment, and in the same day, out of the house of Saul, Saul the king, as well as his son Jonathan, who was besties with David, have died. Jonathan had a son whose name was Mephibosheth. He was being babysat that day, and it's really interesting it says that the babysitter heard that they had died and for fear of the king's life, you know, the future king, she grabbed Mephibosheth and she started running with him. He was five years old at this time. And it says in her haste, she dropped him and he became lame and crippled for the rest of his life. Something probably modern medicine today would have fixed. They didn't have the luxury of back then. So he lived as a lame cripple for the rest of his life. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, David is asking, now that, the, now that King Saul is dead, Jonathan's gone, and now David is assuming leadership in the role that he was designed by God to have, he says in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, David says, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? You may think that you know all the details of the story, but let me remind you. David and Jonathan had made a promise. They had made a pact. They had made a covenant together. And David was not going to be the one who was going to disown or disassociate with any of those who were left behind because he had made a promise. So they find Mephibosheth and they bring him to King David. He must have been terrified. He's been hiding out in a city, hoping to be under the radar that nobody would find him. But they find him. And as the story unfolds in chapter 21 of 2 Samuel, we hear these words. It says this in verse 7. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son, Jonathan, because of the oath of the Lord that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. I want you to stop for just a moment and think of the significance of what's taking place here. There's a covenant that's been kept to descendants as a result of the honor of the covenant. This is the same exact illustration 
that we can use to look at Jesus Christ. In fact, I think a lot of people are a little bit off when they think that God was making a covenant with his people on the cross. I don't believe that. I believe with all of my heart that God was making a covenant with his son. And that you and I as his descendants, spiritual descendants, can be shown kindness because of that promise being kept. God couldn't make that covenant with you yourself because you would break it. The Bible actually says clearly in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, read the book of Hebrews, that there was no one else to make the covenant with besides this great mediator, the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. It's amazing when you really think about it. That he made a covenant with the king and we become the recipients of that grace. It's so good. It's so good. This is good news. Amen. Jesus Christ is our anointed one. He's our Messiah. He's our Christ. Worship team, would you come and join me? I want you to think about these points today. That we can hear from God because Jesus is our prophet. That we can talk directly to God because Jesus Christ is our priest. And that we can walk with God. We can live in the grace and under the mercy and in the kindness of God because of Jesus Christ being the king, because the heavenly father made an agreement with the heavenly king that they would keep this promise for all of eternity, that all who come to him could be called his own, that we could be grafted in, brought into his family. I want you to close your eyes with me today. I want you to think about those practical points hearing talking and walking one of those applies to every single one of us I don't know which one for you individually but I know what God is and has been dealing with me I believe all of us can respond to at least one of these today so I pray over celebrate church Holy Spirit would you speak to your people Would you convict our hearts like you did my little girl so that she undid what she did and redid the right thing? God, help us today. Help us today to see the significance of the anointed one that you've given to us. Church, would you stand? I want you to make your seat a place of prayer. I encourage you. You can stay there or you can move out if you'd like to. You can find a place to pray, but I want you to just have an honest conversation with God today because I'm convinced he can hear you and tell him what you need. Maybe it's more than just the message. Maybe you are struggling with your future or with your marriage or with your health or finances. Our God is able to do what he has promised to do. He has never failed and he won't stop or start now. Lord, I pray that you would help us to turn ourselves to you. 
Help us today to acknowledge you as our king, as our priest, and as our prophet. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice of your life on the cross. And thank you, Lord, that you did it once for all, for all time and for all people, including the people here today in this room. Help us, Lord, as we submit ourselves to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, let's sing and worship this last, uh, in this last song and just give ourselves to the Lord.